Well, Michael Shermer is probably the most well-known atheist in America. I've read a number of his books because he at one time was a believer. He wrote a book recently where he included an event, and this is what he said about that event. I have to admit it rocked me back on my heels and shook my skepticism to its core as well. I was at a debate where he was debating a theologian. The theologian said, you're skeptical of God and the idea that God exists. Yes. You're skeptical of the Bible and the things it portrays. Yes. And he said, basically, you're skeptical of everything but your own atheism. And Michael Shermer didn't have a good answer. Here's what he wrote of what happened a couple years ago. He got married. His wife was from Germany. She was here several months before the wedding. Her family sent some heirlooms. Most were destroyed in the mail, except for a radio that was 40 years old. He thought it'd be a great gift to repair the radio. So he tried to work with the wiring, couldn't get it up and running. Told his wife, sorry, I thought I could make it work. He tried new batteries, turned it on, and nothing seemed to get this radio to work. He then took it and put it in a drawer, forgot about it. Three months later, they had the wedding at the house. As the wedding began to start, they heard music. They assumed it was their cell phone they left on. When the ceremony was over, music still played, and the music was romantic music, perfect for a wedding. They went to turn off their phone, realized it was not the phone. Went to the radio in the kitchen, it was not that. They searched for the music, went into the bedroom. He said his wife froze and said, that's impossible. They opened the drawer and that broken radio that hadn't worked in decades was playing romantic music. They took it downstairs, told everybody, isn't that amazing? This radio started to work at just this moment. It played a couple more hours, then it turned off, hasn't worked since. So he wrote an article about this, put it in a national newspaper to say even he was surprised at this chain of events. And people asked, was it a sign from God? No, he says, God does not exist. Perhaps you entertained angels unaware. Impossible, he said. Well, how do you explain such a event? To which he simply replies, I have no idea. I just know there must be some explanation that science could provide. We just don't have enough information yet to know why this strange thing happened. There are those who see. There are those who see when shown. There are those who do not see. As we move into Advent, Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about seeing things seeing the truth. In Galatians 4, 4, he says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son. The fullness of time at just the exact time, while we were yet sinners, he would later say. But in history, that first century, everything aligned with the prophecies in the Old Testament. And the nation of Rome had built roads that would allow travel for the gospel to go from town to town as the disciples traveled. And a number of other events took place that were lined up as the prophets foretold to take place right then in that fullness of time so that we could see the truth of Christ. Here's an example from a different side of faith. This is Babby Mason. She writes hymns. 
She was giving a concert and a conference one weekend. She advertised this. She got a call. A businessman said, come, share with my group. I will gather friends. You can share about the conference. She said, great. Here's the address. She showed up. She was surprised. It was a bar. She struggled because she had abused alcohol. Do I go inside? She decided I'll go inside, pass out my flyers, give a short talk. So she did that very thing. And as she sat down at a table to say, I'll take questions if anybody wants to talk one-on-one, -on -one, the man with the microphone that introduced her said, I understand you're a singer. Why not come and sing a song? As she approached the stage, there were three musicians. In her mind, she was struggling. What is something they will know? She simply whispered, do you know Amazing Grace? They said, yes. So she began to sing. To her surprise, the people in the bar joined in. She thought that was a beautiful moment. Then she started to sit down, and someone raised their hand and said, could you sing Blessed Assurance? And as she sang, the people joined in again. And then she went to sit down, and somebody raised their hand and said, one more, can you sing How Great Thou Art? And as she sang, and the people joined in, she realized more was taking place than she realized. When she sat down at the table, one by one, people came up, and one woman came up in tears and said, why did you sing those songs? She prayed to give her life to Christ. Another young man came up and said, I used to go to church years ago, but I got upset. Haven't been in years, but I want what you have. What those songs talked about. And so they prayed and he gave his life to Christ. And Babby Mason said this, we can always find Jesus among the lost, the hurting, the broken, the hopeless, the forgotten, the wounded. This is the very reason he came to earth in human flesh. Spurgeon, the great preacher, said in the 1800s, this is how grace works. It enters the soul, penetrates the heart, saturates the conscience, abides in the memory, affects the affections, give understanding to the understanding, and imparts real life to the heart, which is the seed of life. Jeremiah, a prophet, would say, one day, Jeremiah 33, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring forth for David. And Jesus will talk about himself as that branch. And of course, he was known as the son of David. Blind Bartimaeus, when he heard Jesus walking by, what did he say? Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. At just the right time, Jesus would come to rescue us. And one of the main things that he wanted you and I to grasp one of the main important parts of Advent. His prayer in John 17, we're going to just read verse 23. Let me read this from different versions so we can understand exactly what Jesus said He wants us to understand. His prayer to the Father, He says, Father, that the world may know You sent Me, and notice, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. That's the King James. NIV says that you love them even as you have loved me. New Living Translation, that you love them as much as you love me. Berean, 
that you love them just as you have loved me. In the Aramaic English, you have loved them just as you also loved me. What does Jesus want us to understand? That the Father loves you, loves me, just as much as he loves Jesus. Candace Owen says, the motivation to succeed is what you give up when you commit to a victim mentality. You can't be a winner at life if you're a loser in your own head. And I would say you can't be a loser in your own head when you and I grasp that the Father loves you, the Father loves me, just as much as He loves Jesus. Johan Hubers in the Netherlands, you might have seen this past few days on the news. A few years ago, he started to build a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. It took him five years, and when he was done, his wife was amazed and told the grandkids, perhaps now your grandfather can build a rocket and we can go to the moon. She was so amazed by what he accomplished. And very soon, he plans to have it towed from the Netherlands to Israel this life-size replica of Noah's Ark. Why? Because he said, I want people to see a living representation of what the Bible talks about so that their faith can be encouraged. You might have also seen discussion about the Map Mundi in a monastery in England, a thousand-year-old map that had been in the monastery several years, but the people there did not realize its value. So an archaeologist saw it a few years ago, studied it, and said, this is an incredibly important piece of history. A thousand-year-old map, it has 500 pictures on it of biblical scenes with locations, including Noah's Ark, that might show a place in Turkey, perhaps some remains to still be found. But again, a faith-building moment. Again, a map to show biblical truth and biblical sites from a thousand-year-old drawing. Perhaps that is one of the multiple reasons Haggai 2.7 says, I will shake the nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Love that title, Christ, the desire of all nations, the desire of all hearts. The promise of Advent, the desire of all nations, our deepest wants and needs has now come so that we might know the truth of life. The word Advent is from the Latin Adventus, and it simply means the coming of the Savior. But let me talk about moving into the moments of the busyness of what takes place around Christmas and some things that might be of value in your life. And I'll give you a personal example of some of the just all the chaos of the time spent going through these weeks Alexander Wolcott said, there's no such thing in anyone's life as an unimportant day. And today, we always discuss the importance of this moment. Today's the day to commit, to recommit, to start doing some things, to stop doing other things. It's estimated this year, as the economy is doing well, shoppers will spend $720 billion. And that's up to 30% of annual sales for some companies. But as we move into this season, for many it's complicated. Relationships are not always what they can be, should be. Emotions often run high. There's sometimes the overwhelming. Some people it's a hurtful time as they have lost family members. 
Mark Pace says, how we use our emotions dictates our experience of life. So, for instance, if somebody is often angry, they experience an angry life. If somebody has love, they experience a loving life. We want to know the loving life grounded in the foundation. The Father loves you, loves me as much as he loves Jesus. So let me give you a personal example. Let me start with a great understanding by Anthony Robbins. He says this, Everyone carries pains and hurts from the past. Everyone has triggers, vulnerabilities, fears, and things they avoid at all cost. You can't make these wounds go away by being harsh or critical. You can't force them to go away. You can't make them go away by rejecting or withholding. These wounds only heal through the application of consistent love and acceptance. How do you heal the wounds? Consistent love and acceptance. Withholding, criticism, rejecting. They just bring up other people's fears and nothing gets solved. That's why the Chinese proverb says, so long as a man is angry, he can't be in the right. Well, how can you be in the right? Giving love, acceptance, showing the light of Christ. So let me give you an example. Monica and I, over Thanksgiving, we were hosting a number of family members. Ahead of time, we asked to get a head count to know how much food we don't cook. So we were going to order some and have it then made ahead of time at one of the local grocery stores. Once we had the head count, verified it a couple times. Then we placed the order and it was ready to be picked up Thanksgiving morning, shortly before our guests would arrive. We got up Thanksgiving morning and had a text that one family was not able to make it for various reasons. At first, we thought it was a joke. And then as we verified, they truly were not going to make it. I was on my way to pick up the food at the grocery store. And I thought, well, perhaps it won't be as much food as it looked like when we placed the order. When I got to the grocery store, they brought out two large boxes. I thought, well, that's not so bad. And then the man said, that's only half the order. And I thought, oh no. And he brought out two more large boxes. I went to the register and they rang up the food and they rang up the wrong price. And so I told them, I said, you know what? I think you had a mistake here. It's supposed to cost more than that. And the clerk said, thank you for being honest. I have to have the manager clear the register. And I thought, well, this is going to be how this works out. He's going to say, thanks for being honest. Here's a discount. Instead, he walked up. I explained to him, I think it's wrong. He opened the boxes, said, you know what? You're right. Thank you for being honest. And then he rang up the food and it actually was more than we originally thought. So now I'm driving home with all this extra food cost more than we thought, thinking, you know, trying to understand God, what's the best thing to do here? When we got home, everybody was amazed at how much food was in these boxes. I sat two of the boxes aside and said, let's just use these here. I need to figure out something we can do with this extra food. So we had our Thanksgiving dinner, and the whole time I'm trying to figure out what to do with all this food we now have, praying about it. And praying for patience. And eventually then, 
I went into the other room. I've worked with the courts and with the jails, called the local police station and said, hey, how would you like to have fresh, hot Thanksgiving dinner with all the sides and trappings? And they said, that'd be great. I went back in the other room. We have a young niece and nephew. I said, how would you like to go to the local police station and give them Thanksgiving dinner to honor their service? And they said, oh, yes. And they were clapping. We got in the car. We got to the police station. Can I carry the turkey? Can I carry the desserts? They were so excited. We went inside and it was a beautiful moment. And it was a wonderful moment. Because listen, we all have triggers. We all have hurts, vulnerabilities, but rejection, withholding, anger. It'll never bring the healing we know is what is needed. What brings healing is saying, how can I make this a place where recognizing fear is destroyed by gratitude? We're recognizing Hurt is destroyed when we say, let me then serve someone. If you want to know the reality of what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Try to find a win-win place where you can pour your life into somebody else's and it might simply be a dinner. But when you give, it opens up your heart And the application of love and acceptance becomes a reality in your life, in my life. As Babby Mason said, your father wants you to see yourself as he sees you. Loved beyond your capacity to imagine. Saved from sin, healed of disease, delivered from bondage, and free to live the life he has planned for you. The psalmist, Psalm 139 would consider this desired of all nations the promise and say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That should be our sense of entering into Advent. The coming of the Savior sent at just the right time. While we were yet sinners, all the prophecies pointing so that we can see and then experience and know the Father loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. Mark Twain said it like this, 20 years from now, even 12 months from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the ones you did do. So throw off the bowlines, sail from the safe harbor, catch the trade wind, explore, dream, discover. And you know the freedom in Christ and you can say, let me then now expand my vision on how I can find more of the life that is truly life in Christ. Give more, love more, serve more, and know joy more, the promise, unspeakable joy in our life. We close with Jeremiah 33.3, a verse everybody knows. But here's a simple mnemonic to remember this verse. This verse has been known as God's phone number because the verse says, Call to me and I will answer and tell you great and unsearchable things. Call to me. When the crowds at the shopping mall overwhelming, call to me. I will answer. When relationships 
become complicated, call to me. I will answer. When nobody seems to understand, call to me and I will answer. When you just need someone to talk to, call to me and I will answer. And so the simple mnemonic is J-E-R-E-333. Simple way to remember the same rhythm as a phone number, J-E-R-E-333. And you open up scripture and you read and remind yourself, call to me and I will answer. Tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know, such as the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. 400 years ago, Isaac Watts, a hymn writer, shared when he was just seven years old, a neighbor told him, please read the scripture I have framed on the wall. The scripture was, thou God seest me, a verse out of Genesis. And as he read that, the neighbor then looked at him and said, as you get older, people are going to tell you God is watching so he can punish you. I want you to remember this all your life. What it means is God loves you so much. He can't take his eyes off of you. Call to me. I will answer. Tell you great and unsearchable things. You do not know.